Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Just to let all of you know that we do have a library of all of our shows at keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. That's keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. There's people on there from Kent Benson, Rick Mount, Luke Recker. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, I think we have about 65 programs on there. So if you could head on over to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com and check out some of our shows, I think you'll be very entertained about this game of basketball from the great state of Indiana. Today with me is a Rockport Zebra, a member of the University of Southern Indiana uh, Athletic Hall of Fame, a member of the University of Evansville Athletic Hall of Fame, uh, and basketball coach, Coach Wayne Boltinghouse. Coach, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the program to help keep the nostalgia alive and share your memories of basketball from the great state of Indiana and, of course, a little, south, south, a little farther south in Kentucky. Well, I really look uh, forward uh, to the interview. Uh, i tell you, uh, Hoosier history has been a part of my life ever since uh, I was old enough to watch a ball and initially bounce. So I'm uh, looking forward to the interview. So, so who originally introduced you to the game, or was, was basketball your first uh, sport of choice, or uh, did you pick up the baseball or football, or how did you get introduced to, to athletics as a youngster? I had a, a brother who was eight years older than I, and we were born and raised on a, a farm in just outside the city of Rockport, and uh, he, he participated in uh, basketball, football, and baseball for the Rockport Zebras, and um, he was probably uh, my mentor early on, but uh, uh, we, we, we grew up, um, I guess uh, there couldn't have been a greater time uh, because of the number of schools, uh, 600 and some odd high schools in the state of Indiana, one class basketball, and in all the small towns, everything uh, uh, socially evolved around the high school. So it was a great time. Coach, what were, who were some of the powerhouses or what was going on in Indiana high school basketball just before you arrived at Rockport? 
Well, uh, in, in Dale, Indiana, also in Spencer County, uh, my freshman year, and I started as a freshman, but a, a senior at Dale uh, named Roger Kaiser, who was a terrific player, had a teammate of, uh, named Bob Reinhardt. Uh, they were just outstanding. Uh, Evansville had um, uh, a black high school, Evansville Lincoln, and they were they were just outstanding. Um, in the city of Evansville, Robert Stadium just became into being. You know, it seated uh, 12,000 plus at that time, and both the college and the high schools uh, used that facility. And uh, you know, the the media coverage uh, from the Evansville papers, which covered all of southwestern Indiana, uh, and the radio coverage. Uh, Basketball was promoted, and uh, uh, it was it was just a wonderful time to uh, uh, to be pounding the ball and trying to become the, the next great uh, Oscar Robertson. Give the listeners a little bit of an idea of where is Rockport located, and what what is the town that you grew up in? I grew up in Rockport, a community of about uh, three thousand. It's right on the Ohio River. In fact, uh, I joke all the time, if I'd have been born one mile further south, I would have been a Kentuckian. <laughs> and um, my, my parents were farmers. We were grain farmers in river bottom ground that is in a floodplain, but we were on the um, outskirts of Rockport. Uh, uh, we had about 12 acres there where we had, uh, you know, two or three cows always to milk and 40 or 50 pigs we were raising and, you know, a couple of hundred chickens for eggs and also for eating and a couple of ponies and a couple of mules to ride around. So um, times were tough, you know, outdoor privy and all that. But uh, I don't know, I guess because of my brother's influence, uh, I went to a rural country school and um, I, uh, from about the fourth grade on, all I ever wanted to do was uh, have a chance to play professional baseball and uh, to be a teacher and a coach. So uh, athletics was my avenue to get that done, and I was blessed with good health and, and parents that were supportive and obviously had lots of uh, great teachers and coaches. What kind of history did Rockport have in uh, basketball and, and also baseball before you got there? Was it a rich history, or was it, uh, you know, how old was the school? How old is the school? It, it, it's been around a, a long time, but as far as a rich history, it did not have, uh, although they won their first and only sectional as Rockport High School at that time in 1954. Uh, Bob Sockle, who is uh, uh, in the Indiana Basketball, Basketball Hall of Fame, was the coach at, the, at that time. And, uh, in 1954, uh, Rockport had four just gigantic players, uh, John Jolly at 6'7", uh, Donnie Hinton at 6'6", six, six, Larry Irwin at 6'6", six, six, and Bob Sturmer at 6'8". Uh, you know, what a what a high school lineup, and they were all talented. Uh, Sturmer went to Oklahoma State, uh, Donnie Hinton went to Vanderbilt, John Jolly went to George Washington, and Larry Irwin went to University of Evansville. So, you know, that was a talented team, and obviously Larry Irwin going to Evansville was one of the reasons that I chose Evansville after my high school career was over. So, what was the atmosphere like at a Rockport basketball game? I mean, what um, what what did the gymnasium hold? Was it hard to get a ticket? Was it at a big community event every Friday or Saturday night when there was a game? It was primarily at that time a Tuesday and and Friday night, almost entirely the schedule. Obviously, Indiana was locked into eighteen regular season games and one holiday tournament, uh, which uh, was two games before you got into the uh, playoffs. Uh, yeah, it was um, a big event and. Uh, when you're growing up and when you're participating, you think you play in a gigantic um, basketball arena. But quite honestly, uh, 
the floor was not regulation. It had double lines at the center line. Um, seating capacity was probably uh, 1,100 at most, but you know they they would get in there uh, shoulder to shoulder, and uh, they were enth enthousi enthusiastic. Um, we didn't have a, even have our benches on the side. Our benches were on the end of the court. Both uh, uh, teams sat on the same end of the court, but uh, to my knowledge, we didn't have any uh, great uh, conflicts at that time, even though we had some intense rivalries. So what was it like being able to start as a freshman? Did you anticipate that or was that a surprise to you or did, you know, and of course we all know that you didn't have AAU back then. How did you kind of, uh, you know, in junior high, was there, was there just a lot of playing basketball outside and indoors to get you prepared for your freshman year? You know, most of it was just self-motivation. Obviously uh, we didn't have all the social media and the distractions when I was growing up and um, we had uh, at the high school we had tennis courts that had basketball courts erected uh, in the outdoors and uh, you know, that's where everybody would congregate uh, on weekends and uh, uh, during football season you know, we, we would uh, you know throw the football around play flag football uh, but uh, during the basketball season we was out there had chain nets on the on the goals um, and then on Sundays uh, we had all get together after our church activities and try to find somebody's backyard to, uh, to play a basketball in. And if it was cold or wet, uh, we put on our little brown knit gloves and uh, overcoats and uh, toboggan hats, and we still played. It was just something that uh, everybody enjoyed doing. So uh, um, never gave it a second thought. Uh, we had a, a Catholic gym, which was real small and had a vinyl floor in, and Father Wolf, the priest there, if we could collect $2, uh, he would let us come in for two hours and play, and every once in a while we'd combine our nickels and dimes and come up with $2, and we'd uh, be able to rent the uh, St. Bernard Catholic Gymnasium for uh, some pickup games. And um, that's what we did back then in lieu of not having um, AAU or theater programs. And how success successful were you as a freshman as starting? I, I was quite successful. Uh, I, I can remember early in my first game. Uh, it, it's funny how things come back to your memory. I'm, I'm 73 now, but uh, in in the fall of '60, uh, I was a 18-year-old. I'm sorry, 14-year-old, uh, and uh, we were playing Troy, Indiana. Troy is now part of the uh, Tell City uh, School District, but uh, we were playing Troy, and I got fouled the first minute of the game in the act of shooting. Had a two-shot free throw. And my first uh, point attempt as a high school varsity player was an air ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and believe it or not, my second ball was an air ball, but it went through the net. I, I had a swisher, so uh, I, I went 180 degrees. <laughs> what kind of teams did you have while you, guys, while you, while you played at Rockport? Um, uh, my freshman year, was, it was a, a, definitely a growing year. It was me, a, a freshman starting, and four sophomores starting. And we only won three games that first year. Our little trivia question here, my high school coach, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year was Bob Gardner. And his son, Bob, was about a seven- or eight-year-old and was our crown bearer for our homecoming activity. And, of course, uh, young Bob Gardner goes on to be the commissioner of the Indiana High School Athletic Association. You, you know, I, in getting kind of prepared for uh, chatting with you, you know, in a lot of uh, a lot of the interviews I do, um, you know, in looking at your yearbooks, you guys had 
an African-American player there at your high school and in a lot of Southern Indiana teams, there, there wasn't that. Was that, was that, how, how did that work out? Or did you, were you guys on this cusp of something or uh, what are your opinions about that? Well, you know, that's a good point. And I'm really pleased that you bring that up. You know, I, I was born and raised uh, uh, in Rockport and obviously uh, uh, the back black population was, was not real big, but uh, uh, prior to me, about four or five years, we had a couple of black athletes uh, uh, that played football and uh, uh, kind of set the tone. And then when I get in high school, uh, I got a young man that's two years ahead of me, the name of Kenny Lindsay, that was tremendously intelligent. Uh, prior to that, all the kids that graduated from the grade school, uh, the black grade school in Rockport, had to go to Evansville Lincoln, a black high school, or come to Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, to get a high school education. And then I think it was 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education, where the integration uh, took place. And uh, Kenny Lindsay was a, a, a really good athlete, played baseball, uh, football, and basketball. And then uh, with me, I had a young man that was just an outstanding athlete named Charlie Cannon. He was a year behind me in school. And we, we just spent a lot of time together. But to say that uh, we didn't have some rednecks in our community, we had them. In fact, <laughs> um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, That's Billy. Okay. But, That's okay. Uh, uh, we had an outstanding Legion baseball program in 1959. We won the American Legion State uh, Championship, and Charlie Cannon was on that team. And uh, we had terrific following from our community up at Lafayette, Indiana. But it was a rainy state finals, and uh, Bill Robertson was writing for the Evansville Press at the time, and he was filling time because we had a couple of rainouts, and he talked about you know us rooming together, and Charlie Cannon, uh, the black athlete, and I were uh, rooming together, um, uh, sleeping in a uh, full-size bed. You know, never gave it a second thought, and everything. So you know that comes out in the Evansville paper uh, after we get win the state championship, and before we play the national regional, uh, which was going to be played in Princeton, Indiana. Uh, we, I get mail at my house one day, and, and uh, you know, we, we got cards of congratulation all the time. You know, of course, this was way before any email, but the, this was a thing sent to me, and a, it wasn't signed, and I opened it up, and, uh, you know, they were talking about uh, shooting me, and that uh, I was you know, using that terrible N-word, uh, N-lover, and all that, and I took it over the kitchen table and handed it to my mom, and I said, what are we going to do about this? And she said, we're going to put it where all trash belongs, and she threw it in the trash can. Awesome. Awesome story. In the story. In the story. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, where, where did your love of baseball come from, and who did you look up to, or who did you play after? What position did you play? And You know, uh, all I ever played my entire life was, short, was shortstop until I became a professional. And uh, but uh, my love of baseball again, I give credit to my brother Bill uh, for that. Uh, he would keep me up night. He would keep me up nights. Uh, listen to the St. Louis Cardinal broadcast over the Evansville uh, radio station. Of course, the great Stan Musial. The great Stan Musial at that time uh, was playing for the Cardinals, and I became a, a Cardinal fan, and you know followed them all the way through and. And of course, when I had a chance to sign, you know, I signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, and um, that um, that's another long story in, in itself. But uh, I tell you, I used to keep stats on baseball and uh, collect the baseball cards, and had tons of them. Could memorize the back of them like most kids did at that age. And, uh, 
you know, and knew all the the stars and the subs and uh, who their minor league affiliates were. Uh, it was just a it was just a wonderful time, part of my education. You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I was born and raised in Indianapolis, and my grandfather took me to over two hundred Indianapolis Indians games, which at that point in time were the minor league uh, a AAA affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, right. of course, of all, all you Southern Indiana guys that I chat with, you guys are all Cardinals fans. And, of course, I'm a Reds fan, but no one holds that against me. <laughs> yeah, in fact, um, when I was in the Cardinal organization, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, Sparky Anderson was a minor league baseball coach. And, of course, he goes on to become the manager of the, uh, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Reds. Yeah. And Ron Plaza was my, was my manager in the Cardinal organization in the minor leagues a couple of years. And he becomes the third base coach uh, for that big red machine with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and the whole, whole slew of Reds that were, were terrific. When you were playing high school basketball, who was in your sectional? And did you guys have any success in the sectional? Did you ever win a sectional while you were at Rockport? No. One of my biggest disappointments because – had we won the sectional, that would have been number one. We played at Tell City, um, uh, and uh, they had a great coach there by the name of Gunnar Wyman that we just couldn't work our way through while I was in high school. But uh, the teams in that sectional, uh, Canelton, which still has a high school today, Tell City, Troy fed into that. Uh, there was a little community of Bristol, uh, Leavenworth, a small community, and then Oil Township, uh, uh, was a high school that had no indoor gymnasium. In fact, they practiced outdoors year-round and played every game on the roads. But uh, that pretty much made up the Tell City sectional at that time. Uh, obviously, uh, Dale and Richland and Christie High Schools also played, and the powers were uh, Tell City and, and Dale. And, and Coach Gunnar Wyman was the gentleman that he didn't care where he was buried just as long as it wasn't in Jasper, correct? <laughs> that that's true and you know he was a great coach and uh, uh, a year or so behind me they had a great player in Tommy Cron so you know that's another reason that we did we didn't make the uh, sectional championship uh one of one of our achievements so you were you were you were blessed in your basketball skills you were blessed in your baseball skills um, I, I, I don't know the answer to this question. So, so was it difficult? Did you, did you pick, did you pick Evansville first to play basketball? Were they attacking you from the scouts point of view to play baseball? How did that all work out and how challenging that was that to you? Well, I'll back up just a little bit. I also played football, but, um, uh, it wasn't the game that everybody sees today. We played eight man football, um, we didn't have two tackles, and we didn't have a halfback. So, you know, you take those three out, and we played eight-man football on a field that was 40 by 80, and I was a quarterback on a football team. And, again, I was fortunate to start as a freshman and never played a losing football game in four years of high school. Oh, wow. And, and I, I was actually um, recruited by a couple of small schools uh, for, for, for football, but um, my, my goal was to play basketball. Um uh, I visited, you know, I visited um, University of Kentucky. Coach Rupp was down there, and uh, uh, I was in awe. Uh, I visited University of Louisville, uh, University of South Carolina, uh, Ole Miss, and I, I was interested in them because uh, South Carolina and Ole Miss were really strong in collegiate baseball at that time, and that was a little bit uh, of my intention there. And of course, uh, they had to consent, even though I was going to be on basketball scholarship, to allow me to play baseball. And, of course, Evansville. And um, Evansville is uh, t- uh, 28, 30 miles away from Rockport. 
Uh, our family has always been close. Uh, the community was uh, of Rockport was so supportive of me uh, growing up that uh, initially, initially um, I said, you know, Evansville has to be my choice because uh, uh, of what everybody has done for for me. And uh, of course, like I said earlier in the conversation, Larry Irwin from Rockport had played at Evansville and had played on two national championship teams uh, in 58 and 59 at, at Evansville. So um, that went into my decision. And then in the process, uh, my high school baseball coach worked out a summer baseball camp uh, thing for me at the uh, Show Me Baseball Camp down in Branson, Missouri. The University of Evansville baseball program uh, at the time I was playing was not, was not very good at all, not very good at all. And, but the uh, summer baseball camp uh, filled, filled a void and obviously uh, went to Evansville and uh, just had an unbelievable experience there uh, playing in front of you know, 12,000, 13,000 people. Now, when you, if, if you would not have gone to the University of Evansville, what jersey would you have worn? Huh. I don't know that I've ever been throwing that question. Um, may, maybe Kentucky, uh, just because uh, we, we got radio stations from Owensboro, and there was a great player, an All-American from Owensboro by the name of Cliff Hagen that I used to listen to on the radio, and, uh, you know, I can... Envision me. Uh, in fact, I, I always wanted to be six four because Cliff Hagen was about six four, six four and a half, and I never quite achieved that either. But uh, I, I think to answer that question specifically, maybe Kentucky. You know, once you've once you've graduated from Rockport and you're on the University of Evansville campus, I'm I, I'm I'm pretty sure you could not play varsity basketball at that time. Freshman couldn't. But so, what was your initial reaction upon landing on campus, and and how was your freshman year and the freshman basketball team experience at Evansville? Well, you've heard the term country bumpkin a few times, and I'll tell you what, I, I was a country bumpkin because, uh, as you said, uh, freshmen were not eligible at that time, but I thought I could play sports like I did in high school. And so even though I was on basketball scholarship, uh, I played football, freshman football. Uh, I ran cross country in the fall, and obviously uh, basketball didn't practice and start practice until October 15th. Uh, of course, basketball, and in the spring, I um, played uh, baseball and ran on the track team, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and actually made the dean's list during all that. I just, but you know, the seasons in college are so much longer than the high school that I had to uh, choose, and of course, uh, I, I narrowed it down to basketball and baseball. Uh, compare. Uh, how did you like uh, playing at Robert Stadium? I mean, I mean, I, I think I've read you have a certain fondness and a certain love for uh, what you did there. Correct? Well, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, one of my one of my high school goals was to win a sectional and play in a regional at that time. In fact, uh, as a high school uh, player, uh, our coaches always Bob Gardner and, and my senior year coach Bill Levins always took us as a team uh, to the regionals uh, at Robert Stadium, and that's the first time I ever experienced a ticket being scalped. I think the face, <laughs> the face value of our ticket might have been $3 at that time, and they were offering us $6 for our ticket to get in. And like I said, you know, the, Robert Stadium seated 12-plus at that time, and uh, you know, at a high school regional, you know, they were selling that baby out and scalping tickets. And um, it, it, was, it was a fun time, but... Uh, it was a terrific basketball venue. Um, 
and uh, that that influenced me as far as my choice at Evansville because Evansville was among the top ten in the nation in total home attendance at that time. And then uh, once you know I was in school, and of course I had a great uh, teammate in Jerry Sloan, and Larry Humes uh, followed uh, two years behind us. Uh, you know we we would got as high as third in the nation in 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 um, uh, home attendance at that time. So uh, Robert Stadium. I think it was the fifth largest basketball venue in the entire United States at that time. You had the Madison Square Garden, you had uh, Butler Field House, the Palestra, and the Philadelphia, and there was one other one I can't recall right now. But uh, Roberts was a palace. What you know, going to the University of Evansville, of course, it wasn't Division One. What was the conversation about? Or I mean, you guys played Division One schools. What you know? Tell us a little bit about that, or was it even looked upon that way? Not to the to the degree that it is today. Uh, it was classified back there as college division and university division. University division being, you know, the Indianas, the Big Tens, the SEC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, and of course we had the uh, uh, college division and uh, the Indiana Collegiate Conference uh, had Butler in there, even you know, even though Butler was a, a Division One school. But you know, we had Indiana State, Ball State, Valpo, St. Joe, DePaul, and um, later on, uh, Indiana Central made up the Indiana Collegiate Conference. And uh, uh, but we played all comers. Uh, my first college game uh, as a sophomore, uh, I think we had thirteen thousand when we came on the floor at Robert Stadium. And uh, I'll never forget this: we came out of the runway for our dressing room for our warm-ups, and. Um, the ball rack was at midcourt, and from the time I got my foot on the floor till I got to midcourt to get a ball into my hand, I didn't think my legs were going to support me. They were <laughs> nothing but rubber. I you, and uh, we played Iowa, and they had a, a great center, Don Nelson, who went on to have a great pro career and a great coaching career in the pros and all, but um, we upset them uh, at that time, and that was actually Evansville's first ever win over a Big Ten opponent. They've had a lot since, but at that time, that was the first time they'd ever beaten a Big Ten opponent. Coach, did you guys have those super cool warm-up jackets? Oh, what are you talking about? I wish I had one today. I'd be worth some money. <laughs> they, and um, they, uh, they were floor-length robes. You know, we wore the T-shirt type uh, uh, jerseys anyhow. We didn't have the uh, sleeveless. We had the, the T-shirt size. And uh, uh, Coach McCutcheon, uh, we wore white at home, but on the road, our school colors were purple and white, but on the road, we wore orange uniforms. And because the fast break tempo, uh, orange was the quickest color to pick up when you were looking out of the corner of your eye for a teammate or something like that. So that's the reason he went to the orange uniform. But we had the four-length robe and everything, and they, they were in psychedelic colors. I mean, uh, silver, uh, orange, uh, bright yellow. And I tell you, uh, when you were at an opponent's um, gymnasium, you'd almost walk out with them folded underneath your arm. But uh, they they become um, part of the aura of uh, University of Evansville basketball under the legendary coach, A. Rad McCutcheon. And his purpose for doing that uh, was that uh, uh, he had a, a player one time that uh, he – Somebody on the floor picked up their third foul, and he was trying to get that player off. And he called for a player to come come down and report to the bench, and he couldn't get his uh, warm-up slacks off over his shoes. And during that time, the player picks up his fourth foul. So uh, 
you know, he did it for practical means. And then also, a lot of the gymnasiums didn't have uniform heat back there, and uh, they, they kept the players warm. So it, uh, it had a dual purpose. Where did the, I mean, I, you, you said something in passing, where did the t-shirt jersey come from? And it's making a comeback even up in the uh, professionals today. It is, and um, uh, Coach McCutcheon, you know, uh, I not only played for him, but I was an assistant to him after I graduated and came back and started my coaching career with him. Um, he had a uh, a team one time and that was doing quite well, and he had a player that uh, had a lot of body hair, and the photograph in a paper the next day after a game showed him grabbing a rebound, and he had all kind of armpit hair showing. And that, that was the purpose. That was the purpose of uh, him going to that type of jersey, Plus, like I said, you know, it, uh, it was a warmer jersey than the, than the sleeveless jersey. So uh, that's the reason that uh, he did that. Oh, amazing. What kind of teams did you guys have uh, while you were at uh, the University of Evansville in basketball? Um, we were outstanding. Uh, we were good my sophomore year. And then uh, the 13th game of the year um, against DePaul, uh, I, I break my arm and, uh, and pretty much lost. Well, I w- was lost for the remainder of that year because I had to have surgery and a pin inserted. And then my junior year, Jerry Sloan uh, had, had transferred from uh, University of Illinois to Evansville. And then Russ Grieger, an Evansville Balsic graduate, had been at St. Louis University, uh, and he became uh, disenchanted. And so he transfers back to Evansville. And along with that, we had you know Buster Browley, uh, Marvin Pruitt, who was just recently inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Marvin was a year ahead of me in school, so uh, we started making a rebound uh, my junior year, and then our my senior year when I was captain of the Aces basketball team, uh, Larry Humes becomes eligible, and uh, he is just unbelievable, um, and uh, we go on to win the national championship uh, with a 26-3 and record. And, um, you know, the funny thing I tell people today is that you know that was in 1963-64, and 26-3 uh, and three was a fantastic record. And you would like to think in your back of your mind that you contributed handsomely to the success of that team. But you know, the year after I graduate, they go 29 and zero. So that kind of that kind of, that kind of put things things in perspective. <laughs> what was Jerry Sloan like? You know, we've all see him on the all saw him on the sidelines of the Jazz, and maybe some of us got sick of seeing him on the sidelines of the Jazz every year. But what what was he like as a person and as a ball player? Unbelievable person, great basketball player, better person. Uh, uh, he and I grew up under similar circumstances. He grew up on a rural farm and southern illinois over in mcleansboro and of course i grew up on the rural farm in rockport and we became immediate uh, best friends uh roomed together uh while we were there and until he got married uh my junior year and he ended up kicking us out so but he made the right choice he was a beautiful young lady he married <laughs> and uh, but uh, i thought i was a hard worker uh, you know being born raised on a farm uh, chores uh, seven days a week you know putting up hay scooping corn uh, butchering our own uh, uh, pigs and cows and things like that, and you know, you always had something to do. But when I met Jerry Sloan and ended up conditioning and practicing with Jerry Sloan, he taught me that I could work harder, and he was right. He 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 he, he was he was he was really not only passionate about the game, but he was driven. He he and I, he and I talked about that one time, and he said uh, he was he was scared to death of failure. And uh, that, 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 that's what drove him. 
Coach, what was travel like back then, and where were your favorite places that you felt like the rim was just yours, and where were the places that you just liked to go in and beat them and get out? Well, of course, um, growing up as a high schooler, you know, the the, the place that you just uh, loved was a Hinkle Fieldhouse. Um, uh, walking in there, you know, and of course, uh, I thought it was dramatic in the uh, the movie Hoosiers, you know, I was, I was pretty much that way. I was in awe when I walked in there and, uh, and all, but, uh, we traveled not, not by plane, uh, on, a, on occasions when we made swings to the West coast and things like that. But, uh, primarily we, we travel in automobile, uh, coach McCutcheon would drive an assistant would drive, uh, the business manager would drive, uh, there would be four cars, uh, hauling three players each. And that was the, the traveling squad. And, um, but everybody in the Indiana Collegiate Conference at, at that time, uh, 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 we, we pretty much drove to. Um, like I say, you know, Hinkle Fieldhouse was uh, probably the, 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 the best of the facilities at that time and largest. And, of course, they had a lot of success, and they had a legendary coach in Tony Hinkle, too. But uh, the, the place you probably dreaded going the most was St. Joe. Um, if they're still playing in the same gymnasium that I played against St. Joe in, and uh, you'd go in, and uh, they had a rabid uh, student body. Uh, they would come in, they would mimic our robes. They would wear their bathrobes, the, the student bodies w- would. <laughs> and they got steel bleachers, and they'd bring in baseball bats and beat on those bleachers, you know, and it, 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 it was just deafening and all. But, but, but we, had a, we had a lot of win success there, too. Who are some of the Who are some of the toughest people that you you, you had to guard or play against uh, during your uh, college basketball career? The biggest rival we had we had outside the conference uh, was at Kentucky Wesleyan, which uh, here in Owensboro. Uh, at that time, uh, that was probably like uh, today, like Indiana Purdue, uh, University of Kentucky Louisville. It was that type of intense rivalry. In fact, when those two teams met. It was always a standing room only crowd, whether it be in Owensboro, which seated a little above seven thousand, or Robert Stadium, which was a twelve five. In fact, they had thirteen eight. That was the announced crowd one time at uh, Robert Stadium. I think it's the largest crowd ever to uh, for a game Evansville ever hosted. But uh, that that was an intense rivalry. They had they had a great player named Michael Red that was extremely talented, um, and uh, he uh, he was about six four out of Louisville, and he was. Uh, uh, could play all over the floor. Um, players of notoriety that um, Cassie Russell at Michigan, uh, we beat them, and they also had a big center named Bill Bunton, about 6'9", about 265, 270, and uh, we were playing them at Roberts Stadium, and I remember there was a loose ball on the floor that I came up with, and uh, uh, I can't say that I, I re- experienced fear very often, but uh, I went down for a snowboard and laid the ball up off the backboard, and all of a sudden he traps it against the backboard. You know, he was falling up behind me, and it sounded like he busts the ball. And then the, my fear came from the fact I said he's going to fall on me. <laughs> and it didn't happen that way, but I, I can remember remember those thoughts. But um, he was a great player. Um, Butler had a great player named Jeff Blue, um, a little guard named Gary Williams that uh, was, was good. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Ball State had a a, a black athlete in the in the middle. Uh, can't come up with a name right now. I know his first name was Ed, but he he, he could fill it up. What was Coach McCushion like? Um, 
probably, um, you know, he was also a full-time uh, professor, was athletic director as well as basketball coach, and it, it was amazing um, the, the basketball knowledge he had. He was way ahead of the game. Um, today they talk about, you know, point per possession. Well, back when, and I'm sure this has to do with his math background, but he had a chart that a student manager kept that every time your team turned the ball over by, by score or turnover, uh, that was charted. Uh, you know, every time you got it back, it was charted as to who got the ball back for you, you know, uh, a rebound, a, a steal, uh, and things like that. And uh, it was a plus-minus chart. And I'll tell you what, as a player, you were intimidated about because you wanted to be in that plus column. Uh, and all, and of course, this was before the three-point shots. But um, he he came up. He, he knew that if you averaged one point one point per possession, you were you were going to win ninety-nine percent of your your games. And um, he started that when uh, we were in college, and he he did that until his final days as coaching. But uh, he he did a lot of things. Great great um, uh, tactician, uh, much like Tony Hinkle, Adolph Rupp. Uh, uh, I'm trying to f- remember the Louisville coach at the time. You know, they, they pretty much stayed with the, the same principle over and over. Our practices, I never saw a posted practice schedule the entire time that I was there, but uh, practices never changed. You know, you just you were going to uh, work on fast break, you was going to work on defense, you was going to work on switching, you was going to work on rebounding, and uh, you were going to use the entire court almost on all your drills. There was hardly any half-court type stuff. And the other thing that uh, he was probably ahead of the game on was conditioning. His basketball team was a cross country team, and uh, we, we could we could we could run a long time. We could run a long time, and uh, he 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 was really good at defining roles uh, for for his uh, people. What was your mindset, or what was your what what did you think you were going to do for your career path after coming off the successful basketball and going into your last baseball se- season at Evansville? You know, uh, I, I just knew that you know, if I had a good senior year in baseball, and I ended up having a good senior year, even though the Evansville baseball program was not good, I ended up being the most valuable player in the Indiana Collegiate Conference. And um, at that time, they didn't have the national baseball draft. They just, you know, you'd sign a bonus. And also, uh, I'd had enough contact with uh, scouts and and all that. I, I knew that if I had a good senior year, that I was going to be drafted. And, and, and that came to fruition. And... Um, I just I just felt like I'd been blessed, but you know I never had any second thoughts about me failing. I guess, and uh, and then of course I knew once baseball ran out that uh, uh, I was going to be an educator and a coach. So who was after you, and who did you finally sign for uh, in baseball? And um, um, what was a signing bonus like back then? Oh man, it was big bucks and everything. <laughs> it, it got down to Baltimore and uh, the Cardinals. Uh, the Yankees had, had, had expressed interest, but uh, uh, you know, being a Cardinal fan all my life, you know, and, and uh, being able to wear the, the jersey with the two birds on it was something that uh, I had longed for. So I signed a bonus with them for ten thousand dollars, and um, you know, today that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but in 1964, oh, yeah, to me that was a lot of money. Exactly. In fact, to to this, to this day, that may be the only car I've ever paid cash for. <laughs> You know, um, but uh, I was sent to a rookie league, and 
it, it's funny. I, I got to rookie league, and like I said the earlier, uh, I had played nothing but shortstop all my life. And the manager at that time was uh, trying to get to know us, and he was talking to us about what position we played. And uh, there was a young man by the name of Art Darris that had signed with the Cardinals out of high school from Hamtramck, Michigan. And he talked to him, and he said, uh, Art, he said, um, you sign, are you signed with the Cardinals? He said, uh, what position do you say, did you uh, say you played? And Art said, uh, I play shortstop. Well, he signed for $80,000, and I signed for $10,000, and I was about the second guy left to, for a manager to talk to. And I said, Wayne, uh, uh, what position do you play? And, and I, this, this thought went through my mind. Art signs for 80000 I sign for 10000 He's a shortstop. I'm a shortstop. Who are they going to uh, give priority to? So I said, I'm a third baseman. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends up that um, that was a good move on my part. Uh, the Cardinals uh, were moving me around. Um, in fact, uh, I played every position except pitching uh, in the Cardinal organization uh, in the minor leagues and uh, was doing quite well. In fact, one night they had a promotion. Um, I played a different position every inning. And everything started off with pitching, went to catching, then first, second, you know, on around the horn uh, that way. But, uh, uh, in, in fact, uh, my pitching record is, is pretty good. Uh, I didn't give up any runs. So, uh. <laughs> so, so tell us about the baseball career. I mean, what, what was it like traveling? What, what, what teams did you uh, – your, uh, your minor league teams? You know, tell us uh, about that experience and then, and then delve into when you decide, hey, it's time for me to do something else. Well, I'll fill it in real quick. I was a, went to Rookie League in Sarasota, Florida. Um, uh, first off, I, I went to Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's where I had to uh, report to first. And uh, uh, I drove my car that I'd paid for to Rock Hill, South Carolina. And uh, I got the, at the ballpark, and uh, everybody had gone to lunch. And uh, so I walk out on the baseball field, and there's a young man out on the pitching mound that was a couple inches taller than me. And I go up and introduce myself. And uh, he introduced himself, and, and it's Steve Carlton. Oh, wow. How about that? Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and also, uh, uh, that was the first person I met. And then uh, uh, I go to Rookie League. Uh, this is the summer of 64 in Sarasota, and I have a real good rookie rookie season. But it was the first time I'd never hit 300 in my life, you know, and that, that, kind, of, that kind of bugged me a little bit. I'll come back the next year, and uh, we're playing in the Midwest League out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and had a real good good year then. I, I was um, uh, playing in infield and uh, hitting over 300, and all of a sudden I'm playing third base primarily, and, and the Cardinals send in a, a player, and uh, the front office had said that uh, Ron Plaza, our manager at that time, he pulled me aside and he says, Wayne, he says, uh, I hate to do this, but he says, I'm, I have to play George Runk uh, at third base. He said, uh, uh, I'm under orders to do that. And so I, I was sitting on the bench, and uh, uh, one of my great experiences that uh, Harry Laola was a catcher and was my roommate, but he, he had caught a foul tip and was going to be unavailable for seven or ten days, and uh, Bill Plummer was our backup catcher. Now, Bill ends up being the backup catcher, to Johnny Bench yes. in Cincinnati later on. Yes. But um, uh, there was a situation about the fifth inning that uh, Bill Plummer comes up with runners on second and third when one out and, and strikes out on three pitches. And, and Plaza, our manager, is so irate, he comes back to dugout. He said that he looks at me sitting over there and he says, 
can you catch? I said, sure, I can catch. He said, you'll catch it next inning. <laughs> and it was, well, get this. I had never had on catching gear in my life. <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and so I immediately run down to the bullpen. That's Harry Lawler, my roommate, was, was down there. And I said, Harry, I'm catching next inning. Help me out. And I didn't realize that you buckled your shin guards on with the buckles on the outside so that when your legs rub together, you don't undo your buckles and things like that. So I, I had a quick lesson. And uh, Mike Buse was a pitcher. And... Uh, uh, at that time, and he was a Canadian kid that could throw hard. And um, the league uh, stealer and bases, Jimmy Williams, this is the, end, the Jimmy Williams ended up being manager for the Boston Red Sox, uh, is uh, on the other team, and he's leading the league in stealing. He, I don't remember how he got on base by hit or walk, but uh, I knew that he was a leading base stealer. And uh, I'll tell you what, the next pitch, they yelled, there he goes. And uh, I threw a strike to second base. I don't remember catching the ball. I don't remember throwing the ball. But I threw him out by about three steps. Oh, man, that is awesome. <laughs> I, did, uh, I, I, I was excited about that. But I, I, I go I, I go on and, and have a real good career. I'm back at Cedar Rapids the next year. And the Midwest League is loaded with talent. You know, we had Reggie Jackson, Nevada Blues, Sal Bando, George Hendricks, Joe Rudy. Uh, it, wow. it, it was a loaded league at that time. And um, uh, the Cardinals were wanting to put me in a National Guard unit. You know, this is during the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, don't worry about it. I've got a teaching contract in the offseason at Boonville, Indiana High School. And everything, I said, I'll be exempt. And um, they took it for what it's worth, as I did at the time. But uh, I get my draft notice uh, 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 in a I guess June, had to report July 6th to um, uh, Fort Knox for my basic training. And um, I didn't realize that my teaching area was in social studies, and the only exempt teachers were in the field of math and science. So I got got a tough lesson that way. So I I served two years in the military and uh, didn't play much baseball, played a little bit, but I had a great experience uh, in the military, even though when I went in service, I was really – kind of a bitter camper because, uh, you know, it was really disrupting my baseball ambition. I get out of service, and I'm going on 25 years of age, and I I go back and play another year uh, in a Cardinal organization and was teaching at Martinsville, Indiana, in the offseason with the intent of going back uh, to professional baseball. Uh, In the spring of uh, 69, I was going to resign in the spring and go back, and Coach McCutcheon, who was the athletic director, asked me if I – wanted to come back to uh, Evansville. This is a conversation took place, I guess, about the second or third week of January. Uh, he said, we'd like for you to be um, assistant basketball coach, assistant football coach, and head baseball coach, and teach in the physical education department. And I said, Coach, give me 72 hours to think about it and, and pray about it. And I said, uh, I'll get back with you, which I did. And, and um, I uh, opted to get into the coaching profession. And uh, the last game of uh, Baseball I ever played was as a professional. Coach, I, I mean, we've all heard that phrase of ifs and buts were candy and nuts. Uh, but do, do you feel like you could have had an outstanding baseball career if the uh, uh, the situation with uh, uh, the Vietnam War would not have been? I, I think I'd have made the major leagues. Obviously, now there's only sixteen teams, eight, right. eight teams in each league at that time, and all. But I, I would not have uh, been an outstanding player. I, I would probably have made it as a uh, utility player because I could play a lot of different positions. And the, and the Cardinals knew that uh, 
that I was really interested in baseball because I'd wear them out with questions. When we was on those bus trips, you know, I'd sit there and ask the manager why this, why that, and and all that. So uh, um, had great spring spring training. You know, had some wonderful times. The Cardinals were winning the World Series at that time. In fact, in '64 they won the World Series, and in spring training in '65. you you think you'd be too tired. You're on the field in the morning. You eat lunch. You're on the field in the afternoon. But after we we shower and and uh, eat a supper, sometimes we go down to the YMCA in St. Petersburg, where Saint, uh, where spring training was at, and we'd play pickup basketball. And uh, Bob Gibson was down there. And gee uh, wow. whiz, man, you talk about a basketball talent. We know him for baseball, but he was a terrific basketball player as well. And and like Jerry Sloan, an unbelievable competitor. You know, it's interesting. You said, you know, you talked about how you, you knew your be- baseball cards backwards and forwards uh, when you were a little kid. You know, one of my favorite baseball cards, which probably isn't worth 25 cents, was uh, the one of uh, the guy you mentioned, Bill Plummer, uh, in a batting stance when he played for the Cincinnati Reds. That, very interesting. I, I love it. He was probably taking a call third strike. <laughs> so, so, so tell us of the evolution of coaching. I mean, were you kind of when you when you got into it there at University of Evansville? Were were you were you kind of nervous, or did you did did did, just, did it just come to you right off the bat? And how were those first couple of years? And then, what's your next step from Evansville? You know, obviously, uh, my time was just consumed because, you know, I was assistant football coach uh, for Jim Byers, who eventually became an outstanding athletic director at the University of Evansville. But, you know, I spent time there, and then obviously I was meeting with Coach McCutcheon periodically because basketball was in uh, fall conditioning mode. And then uh, in baseball in the spring, uh, you know, my plate was pretty full and and teaching uh, physical education. So, um I say my plate was full. I I, uh, I met my wife there too, so I guess it all was not uh, too too time consuming. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, uh, it it was just a very busy time. And um, it was you know I've always had a, an instinct for keeping my mouth shut <laughs> and my eyes open, and and did, and did a lot of uh, uh, watching and listening, and then asking. Uh, good questions and um, so uh, you know I caught on of course you know having graduated from uh, Coach McCutcheon's uh, basketball program I, I, I pretty much knew what was going to happen there I just had to get uh, used to the personalities and in um, 1971 we win another uh, Division II uh, it's college division championship at that time and we had a great player in, in uh, uh, Don Boozy and another great player in John Wellmar and then uh, Rick Coffey from Indianapolis was on that team, Steve Wilmer from Columbus, uh, Bob Clayton from Fairfield, Illinois, Rick Smith from Oakland City, Indiana. You know, they just uh, they ended up um, su- surprising everybody in basketball that year. They came out of December with a four-win, five-loss record and then just got on a roll after that and uh, wasn't, be- wasn't to be denied. And, uh, you know, those guys winning – Everything really charged me up to be a, a college basketball coach. So, when, and um, I was there for at Evansville for five years, and then the University of Southern Indiana, which at that time was a branch campus of Indiana State. It was Indiana State University Evansville. Uh, they had an opening for a basketball coach and athletic director, and I was. Uh, uh, asked to apply for that, and I did, and it was a bare basics, but uh, it was a great career move for me. 
Coach, do you remember where you were and how you felt when the uh, disaster happened with the uh, plane crash? Like it was yesterday. Like it was yesterday. Um, I was at Wright High School. I was in the press box. It was a high school game. Uh, Jiggs DeVault was doing the play-by-play on WGBF radio, and I was sitting right next to him. And it was the second quarter, and you know he's doing play-by-play, and action is going on. All of a sudden, he he just quits talking, and I realized you know somebody's talking to him over the headset. He's being interrupted, and he lifts up his ear flap, and he says something to me. He said, uh, uh, "There's a plane down, uh, a charter plane down at the Evansville Airport, and they think it's the University of Evansville basketball team." You know, and this is probably 8.15 at night, and I said, I don't think so because I was by their campus this afternoon, and they were leaving around 5, 5.30 to fly to Middle Tennessee. And um, so he goes back announcing the game. And then during the third quarter, you know, again, he's doing play-by-play, and uh, he stops his broadcast and picks up his headset and takes it completely off his head, and he says, Wayne, it is the University of Evansville basketball program. Wow. And also, um, I was just stunned. I was just stunned. Uh, uh, took a young man home to the apartment that night, and uh, I'm going to get to another phone here. i got a, a weak signal here on this. Oh, no problem. Uh, I took a young man home to his apartment that night, uh, went to my house, and got there around 10, 15, and my wife, one moment, I'm changing phones. No problem. Can you hear me? Yep, I hear you. Uh, my wife had met me outside because she heard the garage door go up, and uh, Bobby Watson, who was coach of that team, lived about two blocks away from me in my, that subdivision. Wow. And uh, so, uh, you know, just it was a it was a night of horrors. Wow. And uh, I knew everybody, I knew everybody on the flight. You know, the players, uh, the coaching staff. Um, uh, three or four of the fans, of course, Marvin Bates, who did the play-by-play announcing uh, for the Aces at that time, and knew them all. Wow. Very sad. Very sad. It was. It yeah. was. It, 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 you, know, it, it, I, I, you know, now I understand how Al Roker feels. They say a, a really sad story on the Today Show, and then they ask Al about the weather. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go, how, what were your, um, at USI, what were, what were your teams like, and, 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 and how did you, uh, uh, I mean, was was recruiting hard for that, and and how much success did you have at University of Southern Indiana? Well, we were NAIA when we first went there, and they had not had any success at all. Uh, had had no on campus housing for anybody. You, know, you had to find your uh, living accommodations out in the, the general public. Uh, uh, hardly any scholarship help unless you qualified academically. And also, uh, I, I took I took my B my first year. I was six and nineteen. And um, I'll never forget uh, uh, President David Rice, who was a, a terrific leader for the campus and had the, the patience as Joe, but uh, he walks in and uh, after our last loss of the season and uh, offers some words of encouragement. And I can remember looking up at him, I said, I never again will be caught without talent. And so we went from 6 and 19 uh, to 11 and 14, and uh, that was the last uh, losing season I ever had. So. Uh, it started to mash and uh, worked hard at creating a varsity club that just generated revenue. Um, probably the two most important things I did beyond the varsity club, um, well, obviously recruiting some talented kids was important too, but um, 
uh, was going to the NCAA uh, Division II status, and uh, that was important and then becoming working hard to create the Great Lakes Valley Conference. Coach, what 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 is it like as a coach when you know you're at the University of Southern Indiana and you know you, you want to be there? You're building a winner. Um, what's it like as a coach to to you, you, that you you have these offers and you eventually go to Kentucky Wesleyan? But is it hard, or do you try to block it out, or is it something that you listen to everybody who wants to talk to you about what they would like for you to do? I mean, how does that how does that work, or how did that work for you? Oh, you know, I'm like a lot of young coaches at that stage in my career. Uh, you know, there's some people that contacted me that I was not interested in, but you know, there were some uh, calls came in. Uh, Southern Illinois University had a, a vacancy at the time. You know, and you know. I'm, uh, you know, my my ego got in my way there, uh, and you know, I, I obviously showed the interest there, and um, I think most young coaches would have, and all. But uh, you know, I, I was well suited as to where I was at. Um, I was offered uh, two or three positions. Uh, uh, Central Missouri one time uh, uh, offered me a position, and uh, um, I just said, uh, and I, I can't tell you why I, I turned them down, but. Uh, I, I eventually did, and uh, I, I guess that was in the summer. And then uh, three or four months later, my mother has a devastating stroke. So it's, it's funny how fate comes into things every now and then. So what how, what were your steps to Kentucky Wesleyan? You know, I was an associate head coach there under Wayne Chapman. And, you know, of course, they got an unbelievable uh, basketball tradition, a, a great community, a fan following, good facility. They want some sports center. So um, media coverage was uh, was good. Alumni support was good. So uh, real good situation. And uh, after Coach Chapman uh, resigned, you know, I was offered the position and, and, and took it on. And uh, I was there from 90 through 96 and, until I retired. So I uh, had uh, NCAA uh, uh, Division II Player of the Year and Corey Crowder one year, a young man I recruited out of Carrollton, Georgia. and uh, His son, Jay Crowder, played uh, for Marquette and is now playing for the Boston Celtics. So it's, it's funny how quick uh, time passes, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. And when you cross that border and you're in Kentucky, what are the differences in the game between and both players and the fans from a, uh, from a Kentucky standpoint and from an Indiana standpoint? Uh, a passionate fan is a passionate fan. I don't care whether you're talking about Notre Dame football, UK basketball, or St. Louis Cardinal, or Cubby baseball. You know, it's a passionate fan is a passionate fan. Uh, I used to, when I was in collegiate recruiting for basketball, I used to say, if you want a kid with fundamentals, you'd recruit a kid from Indiana. Uh, if you want a kid that uh, can really shoot the basketball, you'd go to Southern Illinois. If you wanted a kid that could really run up and down the court like a racehorse, you'd go to Western Kentucky. So uh, that that doesn't always hold true, but uh, it, it, it was a style of play. Coach Knight's influence in, in Indiana on the fundamentals was uh, important during that time. And then um, uh, Ron Felling, a great coach in Southern Illinois, uh, produced some you know, great players. You know, Marty Simmons is one of them. Right. Uh, Jay Shiler, you know, they, they, they had some shooters over there. And, of course, Kentucky's always been known for going up and down the court. Coach, did you get out of the game too early, or did you think it was time? And and what made you made that decision to retire? I just got out there. You know, Jerry Sloan and I talked you know, a little bit about me helping uh, with the Utah Utah Jazz, and that never came about. But uh, I entertained the thought. You know, I had the 
three daughters and family has always been a great deal to me. And um, I retired in '96 uh, and uh, didn't adjust very well to uh, <laughs> retirement. You know, as a coach, you're spending 12 and 14 hour days, and uh, I'd play golf every day, mess around with the grandkids a little bit, uh, maybe uh, work on a piece of furniture, refinishing it. Uh, we've always collected some antique furniture. And, uh, but I get to 4 o'clock in the afternoon and start twiddling my thumbs. So uh, even, even though I was in Owensboro, um, my um, uh, high school, which is now South Spencer High School in Rockport, uh, they needed a, an assistant principal and uh, somebody to coach girls basketball. And I said, you know, I'll do, I'll do that So uh, uh, if I can get the job. And I got the job, and I did that until 2002 and retired again. And did, still didn't adjust very good to retirement, so I came back to uh, Owensboro. I'm still living in Owensboro, but uh, Davis County Middle School uh, needed an assistant principal and somebody in charge of discipline, and uh, it's a middle school of about a thousand people. So I did I did that for a couple of years. So and then retired again finally. <laughs> now now I understand you used to do uh, you used to play by play or color color commentary for uh, basketball games also, right? I did up until a year ago. Um, Jerry Burge was a uh, sports uh, personality here in Owensboro, and I know that uh, you've talked to him on two or three of the occasions. And um, we go back to um, my days at the University of Evansville. Jerry was a sportscaster for uh, Channel 7 in Evansville, and he did the play-by-play for Evansville uh, basketball back there when I was a player. He was about four years older than me, and uh, so we developed a relationship at that time, and then we were reunited when I came to Owensboro, and then we ended up doing a uh, uh, a TV uh, cable TV game of the week for high school basketball, and eventually we worked it into football as well. So um, it was a good experience. Jerry, Jerry's a he's got that uh, that voice that uh, every announcer wishes he had, you know, and uh, a good eye for the game. And uh, I was able to offer some color commentary. Made a good team. What 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 was that a nervous thing to to try or did you have to get yourself pumped up to try that or did it come pretty naturally because of, of being a coach and you know talking in public anyhow? It it, it came naturally uh, to me, but uh, keeping stats and talking at the same time sometimes is a problem. <laughs> coach, what do you think of the state of Indiana high school basketball today? And and were you just uh, uh, torn apart when they? made it a class system, Would you, will it ever go back to the way it was? Is it just something that we'll be able to talk about? What do you think about the game today in Indiana high school basketball? Well, I don't think they'll ever get the uh, uh, the magic in the bottle again like they had it uh, when I was growing up in high school. Uh, and, and it's a little bit bittersweet on my part because, you know, we've, we've already talked about it. I was at the University of Evansville and got to experience winning a national championship both as a player and as an assistant coach. You know, and, and you know, college division versus university division, you know, that that's class basketball. And yet I had an unbelievable experience that uh, has benefited me to this day. So um, I remember this goes back maybe a decade ago, uh, I was in Canton, Indiana, uh, to do a talk, a little clinic on basketball, and they had won the basketball sectional uh, in in the spring. And uh, uh, I was talking to a guy that owns a hardware store, and he said, "You know, basketball." He said, 
I sell basketballs in a hardware store, and he said, I was lucky if I, I could sell a half dozen a year. He says, we win a sectional. He says, I can't keep a basketball on the shelf right wow. now. And you know, and that was a result of class basketball. Now, going back to the passion that Bobby Plump has for uh, single class basketball, you know, if they went to that, I'd support that too. I would support that too. I just, I just think that that was a great time. I wish at the beginning of each school year during the summer that if somebody in a uh, a low enrollment class wanted to play in a higher class that they could declare to do that. You know that, I, but I don't know whether you know you think in this day of technology that 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 could be done. Yeah, Coach. So uh, do you have a uh, you have a couple pieces of jewelry? So do you, do you wear them or do you have them uh, uh, tucked away someplace? No, I've I, I got some. When, when I was a player in one national championships and, and as an assistant coach at Evansville, they didn't give rings uh, uh things. They, they gave wristwatches. Uh, the NCAA only permitted 16 uh, wristwatches at that time. Obviously, I got one. But uh, on the 64 team, that watch uh, I gave to my oldest daughter, who is a, a great sports fan. She and her husband and two children live in California now, so she's got that watch. My uh, 71 National Championship watch I gave to my father, and uh, it burned up when the house fire happened uh, in about 60, no, I'm sorry, about 78, 79, uh, the house burned up, as, as did all my baseball cards, by the way. And uh, get get this, Billy, you, you'd enjoy this. When I was in a Cardinal organization, one spring training, uh, you know, you just go over to a big laundry hopper and pull out a jersey and, uh, you know, find a pair of pants that fit you, and that's what you're going to wear for your spring training uh, for that day. So I went over and pulled out a jersey, and it's number six and everything. So uh, I'm putting it on, and I'm noticed stitched in a, uh, on the inside of the column is S. Musial. Man, alive. So, I know. So oh. I, I, I know I shouldn't admit to being a thief, but I'm a thief. <laughs> It, it it ends it ends up in my duffel bag and hung in my upstairs closet, but like the wristwatch and the baseball cards, it burned up in that house fire too. Oh man! Oh man! That's that's a great well, story. I, I know that would be a thirty forty thousand dollar item today. <laughs> man alive! Although you couldn't sell it. Oh, oh <laughs> no! I, there's no way I would sell it. You know? uh, b- backing up my first spring training. Uh, down there, they had sent out information, and uh, uh, the Cardinals said when you first come on the field for spring training, they do a lot of calisthenics and stretching and everything. We were we were not to wear baseball shoes; we'd wear those tennis shoes or basketball shoes. And so I come out on the field, you know, obviously I got my baseball shoes on. And so they sent me back in, and I come back out, and they're doing paired up exercises. This is in 1965 spring training. Uh, Mewville had retired in '63. And there, but Red Chaney's is the manager, you know, his teammate of all those years. So uh, I'm looking around for somebody to pair up with to do some calisthenics. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody say, "Hey, Rook, come here." It's Musial, mm-hmm. and everything. He's down there for spring training to help uh, with a little batting instruction. So I'm sitting there on the ground uh, with my hands in the air, and Musial's up, you know, grabbing my wrist and uh, rhythmic to the count of the uh, whoever's in charge of the calisthenics. And uh, news uh, cameras are just clicking everywhere. And everything. So the next day in the St. Petersburg paper, on the front page, a colored photograph, that's the first one I can ever remember, is me and Stan Musial on the ground doing exercises. 
Now, you have a picture of that now, don't you? Oh, uh, it burned up in a house fire. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay, the important thing. Oh, I know. The, the, the I know I, uh, but I've I got the memory. It's etched, etched in my mind. In man. Fact, I, not just one paper. I had about uh, probably two dozen papers that burned up in a house fire. Oh, wow. And, and how the house fire started? Was everybody okay? or? Yeah, I probably lost a fortune already. Wow. Wow. Um, Coach uh, Boltinghouse, it, it is, it's been an honor. The, the hour goes by fast. We're already six minutes past, but the hour goes by fast. Uh, everybody is going to enjoy this to uh, uh, very much. Uh, the great baseball stories, great uh, basketball stories. I thank you so much for spending an hour of your time to help keep the nostalgia alive. And uh, uh, this, is go- this is amazing. I thank you so much. Thank you, Billy, and thank you for, uh, uh, I certainly commend you for all the nostalgia that uh, you're creating and bringing back uh, memories. Uh, the job down memory lane has uh, been a great one for me.